Well, good morning, everybody. It's my privilege to be able to kick off our series in the book of Proverbs. And to start off this series, we're going to start from the beginning, looking at the first seven verses where we are given the title, we are given the purpose, and we are given the foundational principle and theme of the whole book. And I really, I do believe that this is also a fitting passage to also help us understand why we even meet here three days a week. I know you scan in. I know that we take attendance. I know there's a temptation to feel like, well, I got, I got to do this because I got to pass chapel. But it's my hope and prayer that you are truly here to worship our great God along with your classmates and to grow in your knowledge and fear of the Lord. Now, this isn't, this isn't church. We're not a body of believers gathering under the leadership of elders or partaking of the sacraments, which I hope you're doing with a local congregation here. But I can see where maybe there's some similarities to a, a Sunday worship service. We, we sing, we pray, we read and teach the scriptures, things many of us do on Sunday. But if that's all that church is to us, then we're not, it's not a misunderstanding of chapel. That's a misunderstanding of what church is. It's more than a Sunday gathering. And here with chapel, we're not seeking to replace that Sunday gathering. It is our desire to come alongside the church in having these intentional gatherings where we can corporately worship our great God as a school, where we can come together to grow in our understanding of the character of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's our prayer that you will be challenged to go out with the knowledge that is received and apply it with wisdom in the fear of the Lord in your day-to-day life. But what does that phrase, the fear of the Lord, what does that even mean? Well, that's going to be part of what we're looking at today. You know, our theme for this school year is transformed. You've probably heard that by now. Taken from 2 Corinthians 3.18, where Paul talks about how we are transformed by the Spirit from one degree of glory to another as we behold the glory of the Father as revealed in the Son. And it's our desire this year that chapel will be used as an instrument of God in that transformation process. It is our goal in chapel that we would be so faithful to the scriptures that point to the person of Jesus Christ that you would behold his glory, which in turn will transform you from one degree of glory to another. Now in the book of Proverbs, we are given a glimpse of what a transformed life can look like. We are shown what what wisdom is, how to attain it, where to apply it, and for what purposes. And so I would love to to start by sharing a little bit about how the book of Proverbs has played an integral role in my own life. Growing up in Rockford, I was the son of a pastor. I heard the gospel from a very young age, but it, it took a while for it to really soften my heart and transform me. And hear me out, I'm not saying as if there is no more softening or transformation needed. Far from it. But there was this distinct season of life where God used this book to open up my eyes to a reality that I had been blind to. You see, in the book of Proverbs, we're going to be introduced to two characters who will come up time and again. The wise person and the fool. The wise person often described as understanding or just, righteous, cool-headed, and the fool being shown as someone who, who lacks sense 
is unjust, unrighteous, hot-headed. When I was younger and started to read this book and look at my own life, I noticed that my life looked a lot more like the fool's than the wise man. And by the grace of God, as I started to read this book, I couldn't get enough. One thing that I used to do, and I challenge all of us to do, is whatever day of the month it was, I would read that chapter. You know, there's 31 chapters in this book. Often we have 31 days each month. And so, hey, it's just the second of the month. You can catch up. Just read two today, and you're on pace. But let's commit to doing that as a school. I think we'll be amazed at how God will, will use that to transform but it was at this time as a young kid that I was actually, I was given this adventure study Bible from my children's ministry at my church. Any of you guys maybe have this copy? You recognize this? Oh yeah. And so this was the copy. Now, mine fell apart. This was some young girls that I found at a garage sale years ago. But I used to go through this, and at the back of the book, there's, a, there's kind of a small dictionary about commonly used words in scripture. Words like just or wise or righteous that come up time and again in Proverbs. And so I would read the chapter, and I would go back and put what does that mean? They weren't deep definitions, nor were they probably always very accurate. But I started to see my need for transformation. I knew the Lord at this stage of my life, but there was a lot of room to grow. And you know what? There still is for all of us. And so again, it is my hope that this season of intentional focus in this book, that it will be used of God to transform us as we are made more aware of our need and that we would be reminded of God's wisdom that took on flesh. Because let's be honest with ourselves. When we look at this and what, what we're called for, the way of wisdom, we know that we cannot do that on our own. But thanks be to God that Jesus Christ, who was perfectly wise, and that even though he knew no sin, he became sin, in order that we might become the righteousness of God, and therefore we too can begin to live lives of wisdom in the fear of the Lord. And so today, in our opening passage and throughout this year in the book of Proverbs, I believe that for it to be truly transformative, we need to to believe that God is who he says he is, that we are who he says we are, and that he does what he says he'll do, and then live in light of those things. To believe that God is who he says he is, that we are who he says we are, and he'll do what he says he'll do. Living in light of that. And that is what I believe the fear of the Lord is. And so would you look again with me at verse 1. So it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now this introduction, it's not just an introduction to the portion that we are looking at. It's an introduction to the book of Proverbs as a whole. No, not, not all of them are necessarily Proverbs of Solomon, but they're all a part of this wisdom literature used to help the reader or hearer deeply reflect on these short, profound sayings that are often a reflection on observations made in creation and culture. Proverbs takes common reflections on existence, such as things as the meaning of life and death and suffering, and it sees them through this lens of the fear of the Lord. Now, we need to make something clear when we're talking about Proverbs, and that is that they are not, as one writer said, they are not absolute promises, but general principles on careful observations of human experience. For example, in Proverbs, it says that if you train up your child in the way they should go, 
And when they're old, they won't turn from it. You know how many godly parents have needlessly beat themselves up with that passage? Because even though they were godly parents, their child still went astray. How about Proverbs 15.1? A soft word turns away wrath. You know what? In many, probably most cases, that is true. And using soft words is a wise thing to do. But people will not always respond accordingly. Think of how many of your persecuted brothers and sisters have responded with gentle words to their persecutors, and they still ended up getting killed. So let us be clear as we enter this series. Following the path of wisdom as portrayed in this book is always the path that we should take. God will honor that path, but it's not always a path of earthly prosperity. Which if one misreads some of these verses, they could fall into such a faulty interpretation. But what Proverbs seeks to do is to show you that wisdom is not just knowing all of the right answers. It's a right character and disposition before God demonstrated through specific acts that reflect the wisdom and character of God. This is why Jesus was the only truly wise human. In 1 Corinthians, Paul describes Jesus as the one who became to us wisdom from God. And therefore, because of his wise life, his death and resurrection, we can now put off the way of the fool and walk in the way of the wise, which James in his book describes as being pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So again, it is our prayer that our time in Proverbs will be used by the Spirit to continue to transform our characters so that we will know how to practically apply the knowledge received in any given situation. And so that's where we are, the book of Proverbs, where God's wisdom is manifested to us and invites us to join him in demonstrating it. But why are we here? Well, let's look at verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. That word, that word to know, it doesn't just give the sense of like, oh, you know, I know who Kendrick Lamar is. I've never met the man in my life. No, this type of knowing, it involves a personal internalization and experience with. And after this series in Proverbs, you are going to know of several verses. But we want you to truly know them, that they might be manifested in wisdom, which again, isn't just referring to some type of mental ascent. It is knowing how, when, and why to apply what you have learned in any given situation. Because you can be instructed in the Bible from cover to cover, but that doesn't make you truly wise. Getting a degree from a Bible college doesn't make you wise. It is applying it correctly in your day-to-day -day life in the fear of the Lord that does. You need some form of instruction to become wise, but instruction alone does not make you wise. In fact, sometimes it's those who know a lot of Bible that can be the most foolish. Because their knowledge has puffed them up, and knowing the Bible has become more about loving themselves than loving God and others. Before instruction can be applied, it does first need to be heard and understood, right? So that's what we're doing in chapel, in your classes, 
in your churches. We are seeking to give biblically sound instruction that we then pray you will use with wisdom in day-to-day life. Now this word wisdom, it's going to come up a lot. And it is a word and the synonyms for it that later on in the book we'll see it personified as as a woman calling alongside Lady Folly calling the reader to to follow their path. One path leading to death and the other to life. Wisdom will also be personified as the craftsman that was at God's side during creation. And therefore it shows our need to live with wisdom in a world created by and governed by wisdom. Because when we don't, we go against the very grain of the created structure which results in a further distortion of our reflection of the one whose image we bear. Along with wisdom, another word that you will see a lot, and we did in this very section, is instruction. For in learning wisdom, there is often submission to teachers who instruct, who correct, who train, and yes, even discipline us. So one of the things I need to ask you is, who are your teachers? And I'm not just talking about your professors here at Emmaus, though they are definitely included in that list. Now, this list may include parents, mentors, books you read, movies you watch, podcasts you listen to. Who are your instructors? What are they instructing you with? Do they fall in line with what this book says? Are you seeking out words of insight, or are you just seeking out that which tickles your ear? Again, it is our prayer and desire that what you are given here at Emmaus in class and in chapel would be words of insight and prudence. But please, don't just mindlessly take our words. Prayerfully and humbly consider what we have to say and hold them up to the truths of Scripture. And it's then when we are receiving and truly knowing and understanding wise teaching that we will live lives that reflect righteousness, justice, and equity. As it says at the end of verse 3. Because what you learn should not stop with you. It should be applied and others should be blessed by it. In James 2, we are reminded we don't just want to be hearers of the word, we want to be doers. We want the community of Dubuque to benefit from the wisdom here at Emmaus Bible College. We want your churches to benefit from the instruction that you receive. We want your families, present and future, to be enriched from your knowledge. And I'll never forget what my father told me right before I left for seminary. Really, it wasn't him. He actually stole it from the Apostle Paul. But he said right before I left, he quoted 1 Corinthians 8, and he said, Brooks, Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. He knew I was going to hear and learn a lot of things. But if that knowledge was not finding its outlet in love, I could become a great danger for the church. Now, whereas in the first few verses, the author focused on those who are receiving the instruction, he then moves on to to talk about the instructors. As you see, this isn't just wisdom to be received. It's, It's wisdom for the wise to give. Do you notice the two titles that he uses for those to instruct? He says the simple and the youth. Now, these individuals, they are, they're different from the fool. 
These individuals are not considered wise because they're in the process of responding to wisdom. The fool has responded and he is rejected. But the young are those who are inexperienced and have the chance to learn from those who have gone before and seek to impart their wisdom. Many of us are very young. There's nothing we can do about that. We can't change when we were born. And college is it's one of those unique seasons of life where you are experiencing many things for the very first time. This season, if you're not there already of being in the 20s, it just seems to be a decade of learning different things. To be honest, in many ways, we are rather simple because we know no better. But here is where we get to listen to those who have gone before. We get the chance to reflect on our life circumstances, and we have the chance to live in light of the truth that we are presented with. So how are you going to respond? Do we want to act like we're know-it-alls, which really just shows that you know nothing? Or are we going to be open to the instruction of those God seeks to put in our life? Now, it's also not as if those we seek to learn from are above learning more. Read verse 5. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. You will never outgrow your need to grow in wisdom. You know, one of my spiritual heroes is my grandfather. My, my grandpa, he's about I think, 92 years old, and he's still learning and growing as a follower of Christ. About the time I started taking classes at DTS, he started taking all their free online courses. I swear, he's taken more classes than I did. And he's still just soaking it all in. He's not coasting to the finish line. And I pray that if God gives me that many years, that I'm still seeking to know my Savior that dearly, to see him that clearly, that I might reflect him that accurately. And again, in these verses, when it says, let, let the wise hear and learn, it's not just saying, you know, hear and learn so you can get the answers right on the test. This is a grasping and applying that enables them to be able to distinguish between right and wrong and act accordingly. Now, these words of, of insight, instruction, prudence, wisdom that the writer keeps talking about, that, that is what is to follow in this book, the rest of the Proverbs and sayings found here. And no, it's not as if this is the only place to find wisdom, or the only book where it is discovered. But as one learns what the words of this book mean, the better they will be at mining wisdom from the other arenas of life. For as it's said elsewhere, to the one who has, more will be given. The one who is truly wise will know his need for more wisdom and where and how to find it. And I pray that that would be true of us. But for any of that to be true, there needs to be a proper perspective and life outlook that will shape one's pursuit and use of knowledge. There must be a fear of the Lord. So we said where we are, that is the book of Proverbs. Why are we here? To know wisdom and instruction. How do we get there? The fear of the Lord. What does that even mean? Well, in other parts of the book, we're told that the fear of the Lord, it, it teaches us wisdom. It turns us from evil and it prolongs our life. How? 
Well, I believe that the fear of the Lord can entail many things, one of which is the acceptance that there is a creator and ruler of this universe who has decided how it should be lived in. Because when we forget that, that we seek to decide for ourselves what is good and evil. Just like Adam and Eve. And we all know how that turned out. The fear of the Lord acknowledges that we as humans are created in his image and have the opportunity to respond to him. The fear of the Lord, it's an acknowledgement that God is holy and that which stands against his holiness will face his wrath. Now I understand that this is maybe an aspect of God's character that we do not like to focus on. And I think it's where we often get confused between being fearful of God versus being afraid of God. I remember when I first started thinking about why I wanted to become a Christian, it more often had to do with being afraid. I was afraid of hell. I was afraid of being caught in the hands of an angry God. You know, as, as we come to better know a good and gracious and kind Savior, we too will come to, to hate sin more and be thankful that he takes sin into account. Now, no, I don't think this means that we don't desire that God rescue all sinners. I think that's his character too. But if evil did not face God's wrath, then he wouldn't be God. And that leads me to the cross, where I hope our fear lands us. Because we now know that God in his holy wrath has through his son, who willingly took that upon himself, made a way for us to be reconciled to him. We no longer need to be fearful of being sinners in the hand of an angry God. Instead, we can be sinners in the hand of a gracious Savior, which leads to a reverential fear that desires submission and obedience to his will. Now, much of what I'm saying is, I think, kind of up here. But what, what is fear of God? What does it do out there? Well, we talked about it earlier when it says that the wise words helps us in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. As you see, fearing God, it doesn't just mean seeing ourselves as he sees us. It also means we see people as he sees them. Fearing God means desiring to live as he would have us to live. Fear of God is, as Michael Reeves put it, the overwhelmed devotion of children marveling at the kindness and righteousness and glory and complete magnificence of the Father. Therefore, we, we fear doing any sin that would inhibit our relationship with such a God. We fear how our sinful actions might lead another image bearer to inaccurately see the wonder of God. Instead, in our reverential awe of God, we rejoice at the opportunity to know him better and to help others know him too. Fear of God reflects a proper knowledge of God. One commentator said that what the alphabet is to reading, notes to music, and numerals to mathematics, the fear of the Lord is to attaining the revealed knowledge of this book. Let's not miss out on it. This book has much to say about how you go about your studies. It has much to say about how you treat your relationships. It has much to say about how you handle adversity. No, no, it may not give you a step-by-step -step guide on which job you should apply for or what you should eat for lunch here in about an hour. 
but it points to a way of life that should shape the way you go about making decisions, the way you treat all people, the way you go about handling the responsibilities God has entrusted to you. You know, as I've already said, the opposite of the wise person is the fool. And time and again in Scripture, it says that the fool says in his heart, there is no God, and they live accordingly. Because you see, when you are the master of your own life, your own depraved heart decides for itself what is best for each particular situation, and it is rarely right. This book, instead, teaches a life lived under the supremacy in the graciousness of and for the glory of a good and sovereign God. So fear the Lord in your studies. Fear the Lord in your conversations. Fear the Lord in your job pursuits. Fear the Lord in your friendships. For this is the beginning of wisdom. Guys, God is who he said he is. We are who he says we are. And he does what he says he'll do. Let's live like it. Let's live in the fear of the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, you promise that those who seek you find you. Lord, we want this chapel to be a place of seeking and finding, which will lead from, to a transformation from one degree of glory to another. As one day, we, which we await with great anticipation, there will no longer be any more need for transformation. So we will know you even as we are fully known. But until that day, Lord, may we seek you and fear you in such a way that it will impact the way we study, we talk, we work, we rest, all things. Whatever you do, do it all into the glory of God and the fear of the Lord. Father, may that be true of us. Pray all these things by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.